everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bavarian Podcast Work Show, the weekend warm-up where we hit on all of the biggest news of the week. This is the first episode of the second season. My name is Chuck Smith, and I am here to bring you the show, and I couldn't be happier to be doing that. As always, I look forward to this one. This is where I get a chance to just sit back and rap a little bit about the big events of the week with Bayern Munich and on BFW. And as always, we have our normal format where we start with the five things we learned this week, and I'll I'll certainly get to that. But uh, man, it feels good to be back in the saddle. Season two of this show, really looking forward to carrying this through the rest of this summer and through the season. I think that uh, we've got some big plans coming up. Uh, We should be incorporating a couple of more people into this show, uh, not just in covering for me if I'm on vacation, but also in doing a couple of two-person shows and and, uh, giving giving you the chance to hear some of the new voices that we have at BFW, along with some of those older voices like mine that you've been listening to for a while. So I'd like to, to join up with people and do a little bantering, but For this week, it's just me, and we'll get right to it, because if you are paying attention, you probably know there was a lot going on this week, and uh, it was a pretty crazy week altogether at Bayern Munich, but the first thing we learned this week has nothing to do with the club, really, as much as it has to do with BFW, and I won't belabor this point, but this week we learned that (laughs) the Bavarian Podcast Works network of shows is an award-nominated podcast. So World Soccer Talk, we got an email this week from World Soccer Talk, and it let us know that we were among the nominees for the best club podcast in 2022, which is, honestly, it's really awesome. Uh, It it especially makes me feel good personally because this isn't something that we had to apply for. We didn't have to submit anything. This isn't one of those, like, you know, who's who type things where you pay money and get your name listed somewhere. No, this is actually, uh, it all came up organically. Uh, somebody somewhere at World Soccer Talk either listened to us or recommended us and we got put on the list. And right now we are leading the vote. So uh, I don't want to go out and campaign too much, but if you get the chance, if you could stop over to worldsoccertalk.com and go over to their awards, their 2022 awards, hit the best club podcast and give us a vote. We'd really appreciate it. I mean, if you think about it, when I I just know when I joined this site, we didn't have a podcast. And in the very beginning, uh, I worked together with Jake to get it up and running. We brought on Tom and over the course of time, we've expanded the staff greatly. And it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to see how this has grown. We've added shows and we like to think we're giving you a comprehensive view Uh, Bayern Munich, not just with the game coverage. Of course, we have our preview show, our post-game show, but we have our flagship show and, of course, this weekend warm-up. So we try and hit a little bit of everything. We have some other plans coming up for next season as well, so we'll see how those can can play out. But uh, we like to give you a lot of different voices and and give you the different perspectives of the BFW uh, staffers. Like, you know, we have the (laughs) negative Nancys over there with – I need no name and Teddy and some of the others who give you the, the woe is me, the sky is falling. Then you have me, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I like to be optimistic, but I probably have a lot of pessimistic takes as well. But overall, when it comes to the games, I'm pretty much uh, an optimistic person. When I look at some of the off the field stuff is when I, I, uh, I would say I tend to, 
uh, express my opinions and they don't always go along with the line of the club, but uh, that's usually with personnel moves and things like that. So that's just normal footy bantering. But, uh, you know, we also have Tom, who's a great analyst and Samarin who gives some just awesome opinions. And I think that, you know, just overall, you know, the staff that we have, it includes Jake and, and everybody else that's been involved, Schnitzel, who took some time off, but now is back. You know, I'd just like to commend them for continuing to put out good podcasts and and put us in a position where we're nominated for an award like this. So hit up worldsoccertalk.com, check out the Best Club Podcast 2022 Award, and give us a vote. So that's all. I won't be stumping or campaigning much more, but wanted to do that because it's a really, it's, it's a great accomplishment for this podcast network, for the site. We've come a long way and it's uh, it feels pretty good. So I just wanted to put that out there and, and say thanks to all of you listeners who have helped spread the word about this, who have been listening to the show, who send us comments uh, on the site, who hit us up on social media. We really do appreciate it. And I sit here and I say that after every show, but it's the truth. Like we, we appreciate you guys a lot more than you probably realize. So the second thing we learned this week is slightly bigger news than the BFW podcast being nominated for award. It's that this rumor about Bayern Munich and Matthias Delict is really, I mean, it, it's legitimate. I mean, this, this could happen. We saw this story evolve over the course of the week. Last weekend, when we were writing about it, there was a lot of negativity. Um, you know, people on the site were telling us, you know, it's not FIFA, you'd stop dreaming, blah, 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 all of that. And listen, we cover the news that's out there. Sometimes we know it's outlandish and we kind of spoof it, but this just felt a little different. It felt a little different because when I first started at BFW, one of the very first stories I covered was a transfer rumor involving this young defender from Ajax named Matthijs Delict. And it was very intriguing at the time because back then Byron had a very strong defensive core. And all of a sudden you see that they're looking at this young kid who is very well regarded, known as a great prospect. And the fact that Byron was so intent on trying to get this kid to make the move to Germany, it showed that one, he was a serious talent, but two, they thought enough of him that they were going to throw him into the mix with a back line at the time that included players like Jerome Boateng and Mats Hummels and Nicholas Sula and just how many other players at the time were there. I mean, you have David Alaba, who at the time was playing left back. You had Javi Martinez, who was, of course, a midfielder, but was playing some center back at the time. It was really, really a unique story. And it always stuck with me. And as I followed that whole transfer rumor as it progressed and you know, at the time we saw that Delict had, you know, with Ajax had played at the Allianz Arena in the Champions League against Bayern, and he got his picture taken in front of the famous logo. And at that point, I was really thinking, this kid gets it. The club wants him. He wants the club. It's going to happen. And of course, you know, as these things play out, there were a lot of different connections. PSG, Manchester United, which, I mean, one of the all-time gaffes. We'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, you know, Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid. He was linked to everyone. Ultimately got a great deal to go to Juventus. Wouldn't say that he went there and just, you know, exploded. It took him some time to get going. Of course, 
that was a very unstable situation over the years with coaching changes, uh, a lot of big personalities going in and out of that club. Overall, a very good club, a very good team. Uh, there's no doubting that. It did take him some time to get his footing, but I think he's progressed and he's gotten to the point where he looks like he's going to fulfill that vast potential that a lot of people thought he had. So when we get the, to this point, we fast forward all the way to now and everyone's telling us last weekend, this isn't happening. This is ridiculous. We get to the, today and I'm recording this on a Thursday night and it looks like right now that Juventus is only negotiating with Bayern Munich. Chelsea, who was thought to be in the mix, is now out of the running, at least for now. The other name we saw brought in, this one that's kind of funny and we'll tell you why, uh, Manchester United now is swooping in and they are not really trying to steal him out from under Bayern Munich as much as they are trying to pick up the scraps if Bayern Munich and Juventus can't work something out. And the finances of all this are going to be very interesting. We've seen that Juventus might want anywhere from 80 million to 90 million euros. And, and listen, that price tag would have been completely unreasonable and unheard of. And really no one thought even a week ago, Bayern Munich was going to be able to pay that much for anyone, especially a defender, a position that they technically don't need in center back right now. Uh, <laughs> and it's just crazy that over the past few days, it went from there. No, there's no way in hell this could happen to this is probably going to happen. You know, we have seen the stories that Brazo is negotiating, that relations are good between Bayern and Juventus, that Delict has committed to Bayern Munich. They've agreed to personal terms. And if he wants the club, the club wants him. There is no roadblock right now preventing this from happening except for an agreement on the transfer fee. And if we can believe any of the stories that we've seen regarding what Bayern will offer, it seems like they might not get there right away. The latest reports indicate that Bayern's first offer is probably not going to be in the exact neighborhood that Juventus wants, but it doesn't mean that they won't get there. The, the other end of this is that <laughs> you could get into a, a Bayern Barca situation where Bayern keeps trying to low ball and Juventus keeps shooting them down. But we'll be optimistic here and we'll think that Brazo has a plan that he's going to implement this plan and whether it takes two or three proposals, this will get done and we'll see Matthijs De Ligt as one of Bayern Munich's starting center backs at the beginning of the season. Now, why the Manchester United thing is funny, and this is... Again, we have lampooned this this freaking story for years now. And it goes with Matthijs Delict and it goes with Nicholas Sula. Because around the same time, these two fantastic young center backs were being dogged for their weight or the perception that they might be heavy. And, you know, when I say we have lampooned this, this has been a running joke on our site four years. And some people don't quite get it. If you've come into BFW, you might think, well, it's not cool. You guys are making fun of people with weight problems. No, we're making fun of people who think these guys have weight problems. One, they're both professional athletes. They're both extremely fit. And even on his worst day, Nicholas Sewell, one, could throw most of the people in our audience <laughs> through a wall. Uh, same for Delict. They both could out sprint 99.9% of us, and they're both extremely fit. Uh, can they potentially carry some extra pounds at times? Maybe, but like 
it's not like when it's like me carrying extra pounds and I'm a load, right? Like these guys are finely tuned athletes and sure uh, they're bigger guys. Uh, they might be prone during the time off to put on an extra pound or two that might happen. But as far as I can see with Delict and with Sula, both players have been able to easily work themselves back into shape. And I know Sula's had some injury problems more so than Delict has. And that probably played a role in why Bayern Munich was a little more reluctant to open its, its coffers for him. But now it all kind of makes sense. If Bayern had any inkling that they were going to make this move for Delict, it makes sense that they didn't you know, roll out the red carpet and give a blank check to Nicholas Sewell. As much as I would have liked to have seen them do that, it does kind of make sense now if Bayern had an idea that they might be able to go after Delict. And I think the fact that they knew back then when he was just a youngster, I guess it was back in either 2017 or 2018, uh, that they wanted him back then and they never lost sight of that. Um, you know, if they knew that and they thought they might be able to get him, I, I get it now. But as far as the weight goes, um, this is why the United pursuit is a little bit funny because at one point, Manchester United reportedly could have inked Matthias Delict to a contract and brought him over to England, but they were hesitant. And why were they hesitant? Not because of Delict's body weight, but because they saw his dad and they thought his dad was carrying too many extra pounds and that Delict would be prone to do the same thing. Now that is about as absurd as anything that I have ever heard. I like that is one of the stories, and this is why we lampoon this thing. And like I said, Sula's whole thing about eating the kebab, too many kebabs or whatever, that happened right around the same time. So we we got a kick out of this because it's just so utterly ridiculous that anybody sitting behind a laptop or on their phone or anywhere, really, they're going to come out and criticize these guys. And in reality, like I'm sure like the body mass percentage or the body fat or whatever uh, of these two guys are, are it's probably, I've no doubt, far superior than 99.9% of fans out there. So, yeah, we do make fun of it, but not for the reason you might think. We make fun of it because we think it's utterly absurd. But anyway, back to Delict. If this goes through, it's it's just a tremendous move because this is the type of player that Bayern needs. One, the club and manager Julian Nagelsmann, they've been looking for someone like him, a vocal leader on the back line, someone that could take control for quite some time now. Nicholas Sula was not that type of player before he left. Luca Hernandez, while feisty and aggressive, is not necessarily that type of player either. Benjamin Pavar is sliding in from right back to center back. And, and, and while I am one of the people that thinks Pavar is good and can make this transition, uh, I understand and know that many people do not think he's very good. I need no name. Um, but he's also not the vocal kind of leader. And, and, and when you start to get behind um, Hernandez and Pavar, you get to Upamakano, who, again, a good young talent, had a very uneven season last year, not exactly the type of vocal leader you would want or need at this point. Tangai Nianzu, Chris Richards, youngsters still finding their footing, not quite there yet. Uh, I like Richards better than Nianzu, but that's just me. Anyway, this is the type of player that Byron needed. This is the anchor. This is the foundational piece. So 
if he comes in, what does it mean? Well, we've already seen the links to Benjamin Pavard possibly, you know, getting out of Dodge. Okay. And, you know, that would be disappointing for me because I, one, I like Pavar's versatility. I, I do think that he is setting himself up to be a very good center back. I think that's where he's always wanted to play. And I think circumstances forced him out the right back and playing a position that's not his best spot. And I think he would say that. And I think anyone that's coached him would say that. But, you know, he does not, in my mind, get enough credit for willingly going out and playing right back, a position that is not easy to play, especially for someone who is a natural center back like Pavares. So um, we've seen him linked to a bunch of different clubs, Chelsea, Juventus, Manchester United among them. I don't know if or how those things would happen. Uh, I think Nagelsmann actually really likes Pavar. I think if anything, we could see some movement with some of the youngsters rather than an established player like Pavar. And whether that means a loan for Nianzu, a sale of Richards, which would, again, in my mind, be very unfortunate because I think he's got such good potential. Um, You know, I I don't know how that will all work out. And of course, if you've listened to me, I've had the tinfoil hat theory that Luca Hernandez is going to uh, leave the club at the end of his contract, which would mean he would potentially go up for sale next summer. And, and, you know, of course, like I always preface this, this is just my own theory based on some stupid interviews that I've read where he was non-committal about his future. doesn't mean it's true. I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm not uh, touting it as this is right. This is the only, no, it, this is just a stupid theory. Okay. Maybe I read into it wrong. Maybe I misinterpreted what he said. Maybe I'm just crazy. I don't know. But I just have this feeling that, Part of the reason Byron was so eager to go out and spend this kind of money on Delict is because they might know that Hernandez is looking to move on and, and accept another challenge in his career. And if you have that situation and you have Pavar who is transitioning in and, and, and going to play center back basically full time for the first time in quite a while, uh, we don't know how that will go or exactly if you know he wants to be here in the future. And then you get past those two, and if you've got, like I said, Upamakano, who is unsteady, Nianzu, who is looks like a red card waiting to happen <laughs> most of the time that he takes the pitch, and Richards, who it just seems like the club is looking to sell off right now to generate some funds, um, which is, again, unfortunate. Uh, very good young player. So I do think there's going to be a trickle-down effect on the roster. I think if Delict comes in, he is going to be a starter, and I'm not – I'm not sure, depending on how long this takes, if that means week one or like the AFL Super Cup. I don't know about that, but I do think when things really get moving and going and kicked off that he is going to be uh, the lead center back on this team. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how Julian Nagelsmann deploys him. Will he go with a back three formation, put Delict in the middle and flank him with Hernandez on one side? and either Pavar or Upamakano on another. That's a, that's a good possibility, although a lot of people hate the back three in our BFW community. Or will he go with a traditional back four setup, whether that means a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, and pair Delict with either Hernandez or Pavar or Upamakano? It might be a little hard to keep all of those players happy uh, if you're using a back four, but I don't think Nagelsmann's quite worried about that. I think this season he's going to be quite focused on winning more than one trophy. So this delict move, I am, I'm behind it. I am 100% behind it, 100% behind it. And there will absolutely be times where 
I will pronounce his name delight because it's just when I read it quickly, that's what it's exactly what it pops into my head. But the other thing that pops in my head when I, when I read that is that the, the singer, the band from the eighties and nineties delight that sang groove is in the heart. So every time I see him entice delict, I see that name and then that song instantly pops into my head. So if I'm the Byron social team, I don't know, you should spoof that video and put uh, Kingsley Coman as Bootsy Collins or whoever else was in that that video and and get the lift going with the, uh, the hairdo that uh, I don't know the singer's name, but if her name is delight, I I don't know if that was the band or the singer, but you hook that up. That's what you got to do right after you send over the Kovac, Seeing Nico Kovac and his brother singing 99 Luff Balloons. We need that video before you produce anything else, but I'll never give that up. Anyway, I'm on it. I like this move. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it happening. Ha- looking forward to seeing this happen. Let's hope that Browser can get the deal worked out soon, that Juventus doesn't have any second thoughts, and that this all works out for Byron because I think it would be a great move for the future. The third thing that we learned this week is that while the Matisse Delict situation looks like it's getting closer to happening, the Conrad Limer situation might be further away. And why is that? Well, Arbe Leipzig wants 30 million euros for Conrad Limer. And at this point, Bayern Munich has went out, they've gotten Sadio Mane, they've got Ryan Gravenberch, they've got Nusar Mizrahi. They're potentially going to dump a boatload of cash into Matisse Delict. I don't know if they're willing to spend the money on Conrad Limer this year if they don't have to. I think if they could get him for $20 million or less, they would do the deal in a heartbeat. The problem is Arbe Leipzig is more intent on not making Bayern stronger than actually collecting uh, on a player that they're going to lose for free after this season. And I think that that's a key point here. Leipzig realizes that Bayern at this stage I don't want to say they're gettable, but Leipzig, Dortmund, Leverkusen, they're going to be able to push Bayern Munich this season with or without Matthijs de Ligt, okay? It's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying Bayern's going to get knocked off. But these other clubs, like I had talked about a couple of weeks ago, they're seeing a little bit of blood in the water. Um, especially if Robert Lewandowski leaves, I think that these clubs are even going to push harder. So they see this, and I think for this this season and maybe this season only, RB Leipzig is really reluctant to do anything that would help Bayern Munich because they think they might have a chance. And, and maybe they do. But if they are going to have that opportunity to try and dethrone Bayern Munich, they might need Conrad, Conrad Leimer as their defensive mid, midfielder, making tackles, winning balls, and doing all those things that Julian Nagelsmann wants him to do at Bayern Munich. Um, from a Bayern perspective, waiting a year, probably not the worst thing. Sure, there is no other midfielder on the roster that can do what Limer does. And the one thing that I think is key about Limer is it does give Julian Nagelsmann, who loves to tinker, the ability to tinker even more. Because if you bring in someone as defensive-minded as Limer, someone who's so efficient at tackling, someone who is able to come in and impact the game with his defensive play in the midfield, something that I think the club really did want out of Mark Roca, but just could not get out of him. If they get something like that from Limer, I think it would really open up the possibility to 
to Nagelsmann to be able to run different formations on a regular basis. And I think he's the type of coach that isn't locked into just doing one thing. Like he's not going to be the four, two, three, one coach. I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a manager that's going to roll out a four, three, three, or roll out a three, five, two, or a three, two, four, one, or three, four, two, one. He's going to mix it up. And I think with that, He loves having these kind of toys and being able to mix and match and come up with creative ways to deploy his players and keep his opponents off balance. And in a lot of respects, I like that. I like that he wants to be creative and keep everyone on their toes, not just his opposition, but his own roster. It creates competition, right? It does. There will be people fighting every week for playing time. Having that much talent, though, also can create some headaches and managing it, as we're, I think we're no doubt going to see with all of these wing players that Byron has this season. But regardless, having Limer does and would give Nagelsmann that type of flexibility. So while I don't think, you know, I'm not 100% confident that Leipzig is going to relent and, and let him go for a lower price that Byron is comfortable with. I think that even if Byron doesn't get him now, there's a potential to maybe get him over the winter. If Leipzig gets off to a bad start or they're a little buried in the table, then maybe you could get him in the winter or you just wait it out and you get him for free next summer. Because one of the reports that came out this week was that Limer wants Bayern Munich and only Bayern Munich, which is very similar to what we were hearing about Matthijs Delict. So, Whatever doubts there might be about what Bayern Munich has done or has been doing or how they're managing some situations, and and there is no doubt they have not been 100% perfect in handling players and and squad planning and has not been perfect by any means. They're doing some very good things right now, and players are noticing. They're seeing the talent on the roster. They're seeing a young and innovative coach, and there's an appealing plan an appealing project in Munich that's going on and players want to be there. And I think that when you see a youngster like Matthijs De Ligt making a big push to get there, when you see someone like Conrad Limer who can just look down the roster sheet and see Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka and Marcel Sabitzer and Ryan Gravenberch, and he can look around and Paul Vonner, he can see all of these players. I mean, three really starting caliber players in, in Kimmich, Goretzka and Sabitzer. Graven Birch, who is a youngster who's developing, Vonner, who is extremely well-regarded and looks like a star in the making. When you're attracting players like Limer into a mix like that, you're doing something right. And, and I think more than anything, that's what fans needed to see because there was certainly some doubt last season because the club didn't make a big splash. And, and and maybe they did, maybe they needed to, maybe they didn't. It doesn't really matter at this point. They won one trophy. They had their ups and downs. But um, this season, they're equipping themselves nicely. And now, even in the future, if things don't work out this summer, we're seeing that there is a roadmap to get the kind of players that they want. And, you know, the club is maintaining its appeal. It's not losing any of its luster uh, you know, and maybe that's because players can look around and see that there's a mess with Barca. They can look and see very confusing situations at clubs like Juventus or Manchester United. Uh, when you look at those really marquee clubs right now, you can look at Real Madrid. You can look at Bayern, of course. You can look at Manchester City. You can look at Liverpool. Those are stable 
stable clubs. Even a club like Chelsea, who has immense talent, has almost overstocked their cupboards with talent. And, you know, it's not always, it's not always rosy with Thomas Tuchel for as good as a coach as he is. He's not great at managing players. So uh, Byron has not lost its appeal. Byron might not get Limer this year, but it does look like a pretty solid plan to get him next summer at the latest. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that there's a lot of conflicting information about Byron's youngsters. Uh, we saw once again, this was the second time that there was a story about Paul Vonner potentially being unhappy about his place on the squad, potentially being unhappy about uh, a lack of playing time in his future. And anytime we see these reports, and I believe they were both from Build, the most recent one was definitely from Build. I'd have to go back and look a little further to see uh, the story that broke at the end of last season that stated Warner was Vonner was really disappointed with Nagelsmann and how he used the youngster at the end of the season. But this most recent one, it was kind of a roller coaster of a day for Vonner and on Thursday because we saw the story break earlier that he wanted a loan away and Wolfsburg was even listed as a potential location. But then we saw later in the day kicker issue report saying that's rubbish and Sport One backed it up. Vonner is very excited to be where he's at. He wants to stay and learn, even though he may not necessarily play as much at Bayern as he would as, as he would at another club. So whatever the case is, the one thing I can take away from this is when I look at the roster, I don't see any way in hell that Paul Vonner, Gabriel Vidovich, Malik Tillman, Lavro Zavranic, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, those four players may be the four most ready youngsters, uh, along with, if you want to add a fifth, Arian Ibrahimovic, uh, those five probably marquee youngsters for Bayern Munich, the faces of the youth system right now, I don't see how any of them are going to break through. And granted, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if those players practiced with the first team all season, got some game time with Bayern Munich too, and kept progressing that way. It wouldn't be awful. I mean, there are a lot of, I would say those kids are still at the age where you're learning more in practice and getting better in practice than you are in, in the games. They're still at that developmental age in terms of how they can get better. Now, the one exception to that might be Tillman because of his age. He almost looks like he needs to move on at this point because he's getting now, he's getting the international exposure with the U.S. men's national team that he, he wasn't getting before with Germany. He is 20 years old. And it looks like that Tillman is potentially ready to break through and accept more time. The problem for him is it's not going to happen at Bayern Munich. So I would say out of those five star youngsters that Bayern has, Tillman is probably the most likely to leave on a loan. I don't expect any of them to be sold. But I would say Gabriel Vidovich could also find his way out just because I think Bayern wants to see how he'll perform consistently on the first team level. And they're not going to be able to see that in gameplay at the club. So uh, Vonner, I can't see going anywhere. Zavonarek, man, that is a tough call because he just spent the entire season playing on the first team in Croatia. It's getting that experience. And as Philip Quinn said, you know, he just spent the whole year getting beat up by men and playing against men. And now you want him to go back and play in the regional Liga. And, and that's a tough ask. And I don't know even if Byron has Zavonarek 
practice with the first team all season if he's going to to be totally thrilled with having to play on Bayern Munich too. But these are all, I guess, first world problems in a way because a lot of clubs don't have this type of top-end talent in their youth system, and they don't have these issues with depth, major depth on their first team. So it's going to be very difficult, I think, for the club to find these kids playing time. And it's all going to be about the mentality of these youngsters and what they want out of this season. If, if a kid like Vonner believes that he's ready for first team playing time and he wants to be a starter or he wants to play significant minutes and that's his most important thing and he wants that game time, he's going to be very disappointed <laughs> because I, I don't think it's happening this year. And I know that now, we've also seen the reports about the club really putting, I don't want to say pressure, but really nudging Nagelsmann to play some of those youngsters and, and Vonner being the one at the top of the list. He's one of the kids that the front office really wants to see play. So I, I don't know how Nagelsmann's going to manage it. He's going to have enough time, a tough enough time looking at his wings or looking at his central midfielders and saying, how the hell do I get all of these guys time? And then I have to work in these kids. I don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, th- that is a problem that Julian Nagelsmann is going to have that I'm glad I don't have to solve because I feel like he, whatever he does injuries or whatever happened, he's not going to be able to keep some of these players happy, but on the bright side, if you believe the most recent reports, these kids are they're all on board with the learning experience and they're not, as worried about playing time just yet. But uh, like I said, if we do see one leave, it's probably Tillman, mostly because he's at that age of 20 and getting that international level exposure that that he didn't was not getting before. Um, I think it makes him, one, an appealing figure to a lot of clubs, but two, I think it shows that, that it's kind of do or die time for him. He's going to have to go out somewhere, play and perform, and then Byron can decide what's best for the club, is it keeping him? Is it loaning him away again or is it selling him? Uh, I think the other kids probably have a little bit more of a leash just because they're a little younger and developmentally their ceilings might be a little higher than what Tillman's is. So we'll see how that breaks out. It'll be very interesting. But again, these are these are problems I'm glad I don't have to solve. And finally, the last thing that we learned this week is that after everything, after all the back and forth, after the millions and millions, it seems, of Barcelona rumors. Robert Lewandowski really might not be going anywhere. And maybe he wants to leave. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he'll strike. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll he'll bitch and complain the whole season. Or maybe he'll just buy in and do the best that he can. We don't know. But it looks like Barca, as of today, cannot rally the funds or at least enough funds to give Bayern what they want. And... <laughs> It's kind of funny, and I'm not laughing at bars that were their fans because that's just a whole different thing. I, I'm not going to sit here and poke fun at finances, right? It's funny to me because we've had to sit down and endure this. We've had to see Lewandowski talk about, you know, his history with the club is over or his error, whatever terminology he used. We've had to, to deal with Pini's and Javi. We've had to deal with dozens and dozens of stories. And in the end, we're right back to where we were in 2018, where Lewandowski might have wanted to leave, but he didn't really have didn't really have anywhere that he wanted to go. I mean, he, the guy is all dressed up; he's got his back straight, but he's got nowhere to go. Where does he want to go? He wants to go to Barca. They can't even give a market value for him. 
Does he want to go to Chelsea? Sure, they could they could pay for him. But does he want to go to England? Because everything we've seen is that he doesn't, that his wife doesn't want to go there. Does he want to go to PSG and that dumpster fire? Hell no. Who would want to go to that? Can you imagine? They'd have to play with like three balls on the field to, to satisfy Lewandowski and Mbappe and Messi and, and Neymar. I mean, just think about what a disaster that would be. So I don't know exactly where Lewandowski wants to go other than Barca, but he had better start really uh, working the phones with his agent if he wants to find a way out. Because it does not appear that Bayern Munich is going to relent. It looks like they're going to stick to their guns. They're going to ask for whatever amount it is. Some people are saying a 50 million euro fixed amount. Some are saying it could be as high as 70, which in my mind, 70 is about the minimum I would go with. I don't care how old Lewandowski is. The dude is worth the money. He is that productive. So I wouldn't relent either. And as we've talked about on this podcast many times, he's just worth more money than 50 to 70 million euro if he stays on the team because his presence alone and what he brings to the table is going to carry the team into the latter rounds of the Champions League, which is where you make a ton of money, way more than what they would get for Lewandowski on the transfer market. So after all this, I guess we're going to be stuck with Robert Lewandowski again. And you know what? could be a lot worse. So those are the five biggest things we learned this week. Uh, for me, it's just been kind of crazy to, to think about the back and forth with Lewandowski, the, the quick turn with the Matthijs de Ligt, the back and forth with Limer. It's just fascinating to watch play out. So I will keep following these. We, of course, at the site, will keep following them. But as of now, I'm going to transition just quickly because this has been a bit long to uh, some of the, the shows that I've been watching. You know, I like to just drop a little bit here and there uh, about what I've been up to and what I've been watching and streaming. So I will say this, I did finish up Stranger Things and I will tell you, it was awesome. So Stranger Things, which I've always liked and part of it's the 80s nostalgia, part of it's the storyline, part of it's the acting. When you combine it all together, to me, it's just a phenomenal show. It's starting to get into that echelon of shows with just for me, and maybe I'm an idiot, but Breaking Bad, I think, right there with The Wire, they're my top two shows. Sopranos is a pretty distant third. From there, it's 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 kind of a mix. I like Deadwood. I was a big Game of Thrones fan, but that was, uh, I could go on for hours about that debacle. But anyway, it's working its way into that uh, that upper echelon of my favorite shows and my top five of all time. And I won't be shocked given how the writing has been, given how the story has progressed, that Stranger Things doesn't really get at the top and work its way into that top three discussion with Breaking Bad and The Wire. And, and here's why. One, the storyline itself has been pretty fascinating from the very beginning. The acting has been fantastic from the beginning. The way the characters in, embrace the 80s and how you just get the whole 80s vibe from that show being a child of the 80s, I love it. And it's one of my favorite things to, to be able to experience, just making me feel like I'm back as a kid watching a show from that era. Um, to me, that's, you know, and I'm sure it hits me probably a little harder or closer than a lot of you younger folks out there. But uh, to me, it's one of the key points of why I love the show so much. But the fact that they were able to articulate how this all started during the season, and I'm not going to give the spoilers away because I know some of you are still working through it. 
how they were able to display how this story started, why it started, who were the key figures, and even giving a backstory on some of those key figures, and weave it all in to just a few episodes when it really comes down to it, and get it together and progress the previous storylines, keep the characters developing. It's just fantastic. It was a tremendous job on that season. Couldn't say enough good things about it. I am super excited for the next season, which will be the final season, according to everything I've read, which makes sense. As sad as that will be, I don't know how much longer you can keep these actors looking like kids. <laughs> it is amazing just the, the makeup alone and, and how they are making these kids look. And maybe there's some special effects to it as well, but they're keeping them looking young uh and it, it, they do a fantastic job with it so couldn't say enough good things about it and uh highly recommend it if you have not started stranger things you need to and you can work your way back from the beginning and get to where we are now so you probably have two years before season five comes out so get working on it uh the other series i finished up was obi-wan kenobi i've seen some you know, mixed reviews on the internet about this i thought it was very good uh, I wouldn't say it was great, but it was very good. It was very entertaining. Sure. Uh, Ewan McGregor was fantastic. And it was good to see Hayden Christensen, who I I liked seeing him again. And I know he took a, a lot of heat for his performance as Anakin Skywalker back in the day during the prequel era. But I never thought he was all that bad. Is he, I mean, If you're going to a Star Wars movie and you're expecting the best acting in the world, you know, you're going to be let down. And I, even with that caveat, I didn't think Hayden Christensen was all that bad. As we all know, by this point, the prequel, the writing, the writing for the prequels was not great. Same for the, uh, the sequels, I guess too, right. The original trilogy kept it together, but um, you know, other than that, it's the, the writing for Star Wars has not been fantastic. Uh, the shows are actually a lot better and the one-offs uh, the Star Wars movies like Rogue One and Solo I, I feel like have, were both better than the prequels or the sequels but I'm not going to go off on that point back to Kenobi I thought it was good and of course there was a lot of things you could look back to it did capture that nostalgic feel because you know you got to see Princess Leia oh, that's a little bit of a spoiler but you get to see how her storyline worked in with, with Obi-Wan's storyline and a little bit of how Luke fit into the mix there. So the most fascinating part for me of Kenobi was seeing Vader. And Vader, of course, if you grew up in that era, he is always going to be the, the ultimate villain, even if he did have a, a good redemption arc there. Um, I would love it, absolutely love it, if Disney is able to put together a show on Vader showing what he did during that time. Because one of the more fascinating things about all of these Star Wars spinoffs is we're getting these, these gaps in time filled. Like what was Obi-Wan doing in between the prequels and A New Hope? And I would love to, to follow Vader around on some of the adventures that he had um, because I think that that's just a, a really like open book there and a lot of possibilities. And I know there's all kinds of, comic books and the, some of the cartoon series that address some of this i haven't delved into any of that I've, I've tried to keep my star wars geekdom at the movie or show level um you know back in the day i i did read some of the comic books but that was man i was like seven or eight i think 
So I don't even remember some of the subject matter. I just know that after I saw, I guess it was Return of the Jedi, they had some comic books out and I, and I you know, begged my grandmother to buy them for me. So that's, that's about the extent. And, and I think I read them when we were, she used to take me to uh, a place in, in Maryland, uh, around the Chesapeake Bay. I want to say maybe it's White Crystal Beach, something like that. But she would go and she would take me and she, of course, would, you know, just sit in the sand all day and I would, you know, mess around like a clown. But at night I would, uh, you know, need something to do. And because we were in a trailer, it was, uh, you know, you had like, three, you know, your three basic channels and that was it. So I would read and a lot of times I would read comic books. So, um, you know, she would probably take me down there maybe a week or two every summer after I was finished up with baseball season. She'd probably take me down there in between the time baseball ended and football started up. So um, anyway, enough about my personal past, but regardless, I thought Kenobi was good. If you're a star Wars fan, you should check it out. I will finish up the boys when the season finale comes out on that. That has been fantastic. Working my way through Peaky Blinders as well. And I am doing all of this at, at like late at night. I'm staying up way too late, late lately. I, I need to, to actually get more sleep. So I, I need to chill out on some of my streaming, but of course it gets tougher because we have better call saw starting this week as well. So ugh, I'll eventually get through all this, but anyway, thanks for bearing with me on that. I hope you enjoyed the podcast again. Thank you for putting Bavarian podcast works in the echelon of podcast that gets nominated for big time awards. So uh, again, if you can get to world soccer talk, and you can get to the best club podcast, uh, hit us up, give us a vote. We have links uh, on our site. So it'd be great if you could uh, check those out and uh, hit those links and give us a vote there. So really appreciate you guys really appreciate that you've made not just this show a success, but uh, many of our other shows as well. Uh, We love the support. We love interacting with you. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adams seventy one. You can get I need no name at BFWINNN. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner, and you can get Samrin Schnitzel, Teddy, and anyone else that we're bringing into the mix because we will have some new voices coming in. You can get them all on the website. We, of course, uh, love all the feedback that you give us. So, hey, thank you again for everything. Have a great weekend and have a couple of beers on me because you know what? You deserve it. We'll see you next time.